Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. We were all virtual for so long. Now it's time to get back in person. Hacker Valley on the Road is a curated collection of conversations that we've had during conferences and events around the globe. In this collection, we'll be sharing the most surprising moments from each conference that might change your work in cybersecurity. Welcome back to the show. That is a homage to my brother and partner in crime, Chris Cochran. He could not be here today, but I have two amazing guests to kick things off. Ashish Rajan and also Shilpi Bhattacharji. It is a pleasure to have you two. Let's go ahead and jump in and get the conversation going. So we've been we've been having a lot of fun at CyberCon so far. I got here, started in Sydney in Australia, and then now we're in Melbourne. What has it been like for you two so far at CyberCon? It's been a lot of conversations. We were actually surprised because this is one of the biggest conferences in Australia after COVID. And so a lot more people who had not come out before for some of the smaller conferences, they're all here. So I think we had a lot of great conversations on what people are seeing, a lot of conversations about zero trust, a lot of conversations about supply chain, asset management. And oh, funny enough, it was good to be out and just meet people as well. I think outside of the whole technical part, it was really good to just meet a few people and know that, oh, there's a, I mean, we, we go out uh, to meet a lot of people who are just new us from the podcast, never known them before. They'd come up and, hey, like, oh, wow, there you go. So I mean, that was my experience, but I don't know, what was yeah. yours? I think it's interesting because I, th I think this is probably the first biggest conference we've attended in Australia. And we've had the good luck of attending a lot of global conferences. So it's really interesting to see, you know, how the trends are transcending and what the differences really are, like how mature different markets are. Are we experiencing the same things? Again, the buzzwords, I think they carry forward yeah. everywhere. And I, I think I yesterday I gave a talk on supply chain and I think some of the bu buzzwords are there for good reasons. So I think they're buzzwords because we as an industry need to care about. But as Ashish said, it's pretty much the same things that we're talking about. Supply chain, zero trust, asset management, observability. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's the similar things, but it's a little bit different because the governance in Australia is a little bit different. So there's no mandated SBOM. Um, you know, there's no GDPR over here. So there's those differences, but the conversations are similar. Different scale, obviously, Australia being a much smaller economy. Sorry, I was going to quickly say the interesting part also was there were 25 talks running in parallel. Yes. So, oh, yesterday, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's all, all the way through the conference, which is the similar scale as RSA. So there's a lot of talks. <laughs> yeah, and it's almost like you were left confused. Which one should I attend? So you had a few moments where people just said, hey, came up to you and said, oh, well, to send me the slides and uh, yeah. I'll come back to you. Which is good. There's a lot of great content, but I think um, it just makes it harder for people to pick pick from them, I guess. So you both spoke at the conference, right? Yeah. Uh, I brought my talk yeah. today and she's gonna, she's had a conversation yesterday. Yes. Wow, yes. okay. Yes. Nice. So different, we're keeping it separate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kicked it off for us. So you did a great job kicking it off. So now we're just following through after that. <laughs> yeah, my talk was uh, really awesome. It was a little nerve wracking for me, honestly, because a lot of people that I was speaking to beforehand were saying that things that you do in Australia are completely different than the United States, different than Europe, than other parts of Europe. So I was like, what is everyone going to think about SaaS inventory, SaaS management, or people that interested? It seemed like uh, the first day I was here, I did a lunch and learn in Sydney, and everyone was saying they were still on-prem. Yeah, and yeah. I thought that was a little surprising. I'm not sure if that's for many organizations, but these were like financial institutions. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, so that makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, and I think too, well, the, the same fear that has been there in a lot of broader market like Europe and US as well, where the, the trust factor, uh, even though we say zero trust, uh, the trust but verify. Uh, for a, from a SaaS perspective, I think I had a conversation yesterday with a CTO of a big uh, not-for-profit company, and they are primarily SaaS. Like I think so, the transition is happening slowly, where all the traditional IT, as we used to know it, the internal IT pieces, a lot of people are still going through the same questions when their data center is about to run out, when their counterparts and colleagues are moving to cloud. They're also wondering, oh, well, I guess if these folks are moving out, what's our justification to be in the data center? So they're switching to SaaS. But to what you said, for folks who haven't had the pressure point yet to go, oh, we need to get out of the data center because I still have a 15-year lease remaining. Right. Yeah, so them like, oh, yeah, I guess I want to use SaaS. But what they are talking about, although, in the uh, at least in the conference we spoke about, is the whole shadow IT thing being created by it. Right. Because all it takes is Ron to just swipe his credit card and smile. <laughs> like, I'm going, there you go. I've got <laughs> Salesforce going because I want my team to, I don't have to wait the time to wait for my IT to start the process and wait for two weeks because I need to close this today. Right. Yeah. So that's definitely this. So I would probably say people who are saying that they don't know or they don't have any SaaS, it's just that it may be a shadow IT, just don't know it. Because how many people know marketing team uses uh, Facebook, like the G Suite platform, Google Analytics, they're all SaaS. Right. So it'll be really interesting. Anyone out there who's not doing Google ads as a company. So if you're doing that, you already have a SaaS. And you're just talking about the marketing team. Like you still have Canva. You got these oh, Adobe yeah. suite of products. Really everything. And for me, we we use Riverside to record the podcast a lot oh, of yeah. times. Riverside or Zencaster. Yeah. And those are SaaS apps that you yeah. might not really push through your IT team or your security team. It's like, it's $15. I got three users. Why am I going to go through this yeah. rigmarole of setting it all up? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think, I, I mean, you're seeing the same as well, aren't you? Yeah. I think also something that I think we are becoming a bit more conscious of is, I think being like you're in the cloud security and the SaaS space as well. And I think being in cybersecurity and cloud security, we forget that there's so many different levels of maturity across the board and not everyone is in the cloud. So I think the words like, you know, the buzzwords like CSPM and different mm -hmm. things, like for us, we feel like everybody knows them. But I think uh, we gave a talk in Amsterdam and also in London recently. And a lot of people in cybersecurity are still not familiar with those words. So there's that different levels of maturity and definitely in Australia as well. I don't think everyone's that mature yet. They're organizers organizations that are really mature, but then there's some that just are not there yet and because right. they just haven't been exposed to it. So it's really interesting to see. And I think us being in cybersecurity, I think we have to be conscious that sometimes we think, oh, everyone's speaking the same lingo and we're all on the same board, but it's, mm -hmm. it's not the case. You know, everyone's in a different place. I want to hear a little bit about both of your talks. Uh, we don't have to go through because, you know, people got to watch the slides, <laughs> but what was uh, the title and what was the idea of the talk that you had? Yeah, so I gave my talk yesterday, so thank God it's over. <laughs> um, so I can be more relaxed about it. But um, I think it came from, I think at the beginning of the year, we were hearing a lot about supply chain. And I think initially we just went to a lot of the conferences thinking, oh, it's a buzzword and everyone's just using it to like sell products and things. And so we started talking to a lot of experts. Um, and what we started finding out is that supply chain is actually really genuinely a big issue. So my, it's almost my transition into the fact that I have now started advocating for people knowing more about it. Um, my talk was called Who's Protecting Your Software Supply Chain? So um, it's that whole concept of who's actually responsible for your software supply chain. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I think everyone's now aware of the fact that it is going to be an issue. So one staggering fact that I read, which I was actually really surprised by, is that one in every two companies is going to have some sort of a supply chain attack in the next three years. 
that to me is really scary. And yes. I read quite a few things. I spoke to a lot of people and it seems like depending on whichever report you read, there's some form of truth to that. So I'm like, that is staggering. Like, you know, that's one in every two companies. So who's going to look after it? Is it going to be you as the leader or the organization? Is mm -hmm. it going to be your third party vendors? Is it going to be, you know, the person who's doing the open source tooling? But again, who's maintaining those open source toolings? It's a really big conversation. And it's just something that I think people need to talk about because my feeling is as a community, we need to address it because the nature of supply chain is that everyone needs to own it. But with shared responsibility, I think this is something we say quite often is that no one ends up taking any responsibility. Right. <laughs> so it's about how do we, you know, resolve it. So I go through a lot of tooling, a lot of different initiatives like OpenSSF, like Salsa from Google Cloud. So there's different things that have popped up and how can people sort of, you know, work together as a community, but also with their third parties to address that. So, yeah, that's kind of the nutshell of it. Do, do you reckon the uh, Optus and uh, NAB thing that recently happened, that's probably something to do with it as well? Yeah, I mean, yes. Maybe that context would be interesting for the audience as well. Yeah, that's right, actually. So I don't know if, like, everyone would be aware, but in Australia recently we had quite a large breach. So one of the second largest um, telecom. telecom providers, Optus, has had a breach uh, where a lot of private data has been exposed. Ten million people, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I think 10,000, I think, is like so, what's so been 10, exposed. Was, so the entire data was 10 million, but the hacker only released 10,000 people's records. Oof. And after that, they basically backtracked and going, oh, oh my God, like I've got the government after me, the FBI <laughs> after me. Uh, so I mean, obviously that person or that individual got a lot of hate on the internet as well for being an amateur. But as an individual, like I think we had our driving licenses being exposed as well. Mm. And I think the NAB example, so uh, you want to talk about the NAB example as well? Yeah, so I'd, I think that just those kind of breaches that have come up, um, you know, people are kind of concerned about that in the Australian space as well. So that's really put like sort of that spotlight because I think people are definitely looking at that. I, I was surprised. I thought I started my talk by saying congratulations to everyone for turning up to another software supply chain <laughs> talk because there's so many, but people still want to hear about it. So yeah, it's yeah. I think a, a worthwhile calling out as well that we have now, we now have a minister for cyber security. Yeah, who was also opening up the conference, right? Th that's right. So um, to elevate at that level, that just means that uh, that's how important it has become, especially after that. She made a, like at the parliament, she had to make an announcement. Parliament is the equivalent of a White House, I guess, but she had to make an announcement about what the Optus thing was about and what they're doing. Like it was a public address at a national television. So you kind of have to imagine how much importance uh, cybersecurity got. Like I, we had our neighbors asking for, hey, what do we do for our data? Like I got this email that my passport is exposed. But when you go to a local authority, they're like, oh, sorry, we can't change your driving lessons because uh, the, the, because of the overwhelming people coming in, uh, what they decided to do as well, unless you actually have a genuine case of identity fraud, we can't renew it. For how long? No, but that's the thing. Like, so it, they don't even know yet. Yeah, they don't even know yet. And I think the, the, the problem is, we don't know as a community that my driving license, which has been exposed onto this, it can be reused to fraud, like do an identity fraud tomorrow in 15 years. Because if my driving license doesn't expire 15 years, that's technically 15 years of, and I think the Australian driving license number doesn't really change when you get a new, uh, new license. So it's the same number continuing. So it's basically forever, as long as I don't change, physically mm -hmm. change my number. So, and the authorities don't want to change it because there's too much work for them. Right. So it's a very interesting time to talk about supply chain and zero trust as well. Yeah. <laughs> going on to your talk. Yeah, I mean, go, go, go segue to my talk, yeah, I guess. Go into uh, it. So my talk is about uh, the triple paradox of zero trust. And the idea behind this is that uh, a lot of organizations talking about, hey, we should do zero trust. 
all for the idea and we're doing a, as I see, I'm doing a panel next, next week about whether it's a hype or a hope. My idea behind this is I, I kind of like that word. It is a hope that if we walk that path, we would at least be a lot more safer than what we are today. It would at least allow us to wet our third party a lot more. It would also allow us to look at things like as a culture, Zero Trust talks about the whole assume breach culture. Mm -hmm. How many organizations and out there talk about assume breach is like a standard across the board? And I, 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 keep, I kind of feel bad for bashing on the whole finance, marketing teams and HR teams. They're all smart people. They're all, you know, doing the right thing. But if you kind of have the whole two, four, five layers of security for them, they're almost like, I just want to do my job. I don't really care about this. It's your job to do security. It's not their job. But zero trust angle kind of makes everyone go, oh, it's assume breach. Assume breach at marketing, assume breach at finance, assume breach at... So the the one of the paradoxes that I talk about is the cultural change that's required to even make it happen. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one being a lot of people talk about zero trust as a technology thing, but it's actually not a technology thing. It's more like it's a shift in mindset. It's a, it's a thing which is going to take you years to get there. And to talk about technology... As a technology frontier, we can't even achieve it at the moment. So the CSA.gov talks about five pillars of zero trust. One of them is data, and the another one is application, network, identity. But the one thing that everyone does at the moment, they do a great, great job at identity. Like, I know Ron, Ron has a login ID, great, logs you in. Yep. Same for us, but it doesn't, it may go to the point of saying, oh, Ron is in Australia at the moment. Why, what is he doing in Australia instead of being in Texas? So I think that dynamic is already there, but if once you start peeling off more layers, the paradox comes that, well, actually technology, from a technology perspective, we're not there. I haven't, my, I haven't got my data classified to know, is this my personal data? And uh, sorry for bashing Optus again, but if it was like that, did anyone account for how much of that data was really valuable, like from a company perspective? So it's that's the second paragraph. And third one being, which is the final one, just on the human part, like we may have two companies, uh, third party that we spoke about earlier, they might want to work together. In, in a world that we live in today, we spoke about SaaS earlier. Yep. It's entirely built on the trust concept that I'm going to pass my data onto the SaaS provider and I'm going to assume that they will take care of it and do the right thing from their part. But the reality of it is also that I'm still responsible for my data. Mm -hmm. If they get, for lack of a better word, uh, hacked or breached, they're just going to say, well, sorry about that. I really tried. And you're like, well, I'm the one who has to go to the court and talk, tell, explain to all these 10,000 people whose data was exposed that, unfortunately, we lost your data. Right. And I'm responsible. So that's the three paradoxes that I talk about. I feel like these are all really interconnected because yeah. on one hand, you have your supply chain. This is how your software gets made. This is how your processes flow. And then on the other hand, you have the hackers and all the, the breach. You're, you're assuming breach, but if you're assuming breach, then how do you treat your supply chain? Then you have yeah. to almost treat it like it's compromised. I don't, I don't know if many organizations are actually assuming breach. I know that they are like not trusting as much and saying like, all right, we're going to verify everything. Um, and I feel like two of the pillars of zero trust are, you know, being followed. But when it comes to assume breach, I haven't really seen many exercises that are going on, assuming that there's a breach before the breach happens. Well, it's only happening with security teams. I just say that. So yeah. security teams are the only ones. Let's assume breach. Always. Uh, right. So it works really well. I think, uh, and this is maybe the shortcoming of our security field per se. And I've been a huge promoter of this conversation where look at how Apple iPhone, I'm sure Android has the same thing as well, but maybe being an Apple user, they introduced the passcode first, yeah. uh, single digit alphanumeric. 
Then they went on to fingerprint. Then they went on to face ID. People like there was a gradual uplifting of security. If you if you kind of look at like, from a cybersecurity perspective, and now as a user of Apple, it made my experience super seamless. I don't remember passcode or whatever. I just swipe my phone and just logs logs me in. Now, if it doesn't log me in, I'm thinking, oh, something's wrong with my face. I don't know what I do. I don't know. Did I, I'm wearing glasses or wearing a mask? So that is how security should be. Unfortunately, anything security that we do in an enterprise space right now, nothing is like that. And I think that's where, to your point about Assume Breach is, is there. People have the idea, but it's only in security. Because for everyone else, it's a friction. It's not a seamless way for me to... I've logged in, I've done my job, I've verified everything. I didn't even realize time has passed. So, so that's kind of where I think the shortcoming is for, uh, it's gonna be in the security team for as long as we don't make it seamless for everyone else to adopt it. Mm -hmm. Assume Bridge is always gonna be only in security. Hey everyone, it's me, Simone Biles. You might be wondering why you're hearing my voice on a cybersecurity podcast ad. Well, it's because I'm partnering with Axonius. Whether you're a gymnast like me, or an IT or security pro, complexity is inevitable. And I've learned that the key to success is focusing on what you can control. Go check out my video at axonius.com slash Simone. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash S-I-M-O-N-E. So we have two coins, really three coins here. And one is saying, hey, you got to focus on your SaaS inventory. That's going to help reduce, uh, according to CSA, it could reduce up to 63% of security incidents because yeah. it's about SaaS misconfigurations. On the other hand, you have to protect your supply chain. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's these new strategies and mindsets, zero trust. Where do you start? Do you start by focusing on your inventory? Do you start by focusing on your supply chain and your like really business operations as a whole, like understanding and where security and ownership fits in? Or do you just try to apply the security strategy? In my opinion, I would say maybe the zero trust strategy you could start with, but that means everybody has to be on board with it. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe if you go about it, and I, and I heard this over and over again while at, at the conference, at the Lunch and Learn that I hosted, that it's all about the business requirements, especially in Australia. We yeah. don't tinker around as much as other countries. Like, you're not just looking at vendors to look at vendors, but you're looking at vendors to marry the the capabilities with That's right. business outcomes. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of conversation around a lot of CISOs. Being a former CISO, I can say this, that a lot of conversations won't even happen if there's no business requirement for it. So the reason why someone would come to a lunch and learn or a table is more than just the free food and yeah. the conversation. It's more to the fact that I genuinely have a need and I am looking at vendors in that space. That's why I'm here. Otherwise, I, at any given point in time, CISOs would have a lot, of, lot more things to look at. I definitely feel uh, it, it definitely is a business requirement driven mo model. Uh, and, and not saying that America or Europe doesn't have it. They do have it, but you see pockets of it. You don't see okay, at a mass level where everyone's doing it. So maybe that's kind of where the difference comes in. I definitely yeah. found that as well. So you two are the hosts of the Cloud Security Podcast, which is amazing. I love it. And I would recommend everybody to check it out. You have, I feel like, a, a really insightful view of what you can do first, especially when you're lost. So I would love to hear, like, what have you heard over the years of just hosting the podcast? Like, where do people start? We have three different ideas. Like, where would you recommend to start when it comes to, like, watching the talks and then even trying to implement uh, each of these ideas? I think you've really hit the nail on the head when you said it's about the business priorities. I think 
often when I started having conversations around these things, I used to always think, oh, can we just give people a prescribed cheat list? You know, you've got an organization, start with whatever, open source, and, you know, the next thing you do, SaaS management, and the next thing you look at, zero trust. But I think you've said the right thing. It really depends on the business. How big is your business? How much open source are you using? Um, how, what are your assets looking like? I think every leader or every organization kind of needs to take a little bit of time to just do that that initial hygiene to know where am I sitting and what is my priority. If I'm not really using open source, then that's not really something you need to pay attention to. But, you know, I've got lots of assets and I need to pay attention there. That's important. Or I've got my assets under control, but, you know, overall, overarchingly, I feel like I don't know, you know, where the trust is in my organization. So I look at zero trust. So I think when you said it's about those business priorities, I think it's a good idea for everyone to sort of start off with that, just knowing what you have. Um, and then from their work, because as you, you quite rightly said, you know, we've had so many executive orders that have come up in the last few years. Right. Do your SBOM, you know, do zero trust. And for any leader, security leader out there, it's a challenge. It's great. You want me to do all these things. I've only got that much time and resources. A lot of security teams are very under-resourced and they're constantly trying to fight these breaches that are coming for and there'll be a log 4J somewhere there. Something else is probably waiting for us, hopefully mm -hmm. not in 2023. <laughs> but that's the nature of a leader's job. Um, and how do you juggle those priorities? So I think I would say definitely starting by doing a stock of what your priorities are and then addressing those. And you know that's probably the way um, you can start off with. Definitely. Knowing what you have is probably the foundational piece. I think it's funny. Um, and I remember talking to Nathan from Exonis as well. The, and this is before Exonis was what it is today. And we still were talking about this very basic thing that asset management is one of the hardest thing you can ever think of. Right. As simple <laughs> as is it is. That? <laughs> I know. As simple as it is. Like, amigo, I just want to know what I have. And as simple as I said this, it is not as simple as getting finding the information. I definitely found that most of the conversations that I would have is people feel they have an idea. So there, there is an angle of, I think I know what I have. And then it's like what I really have, like the, the two buckets. And it's almost like you're always trying to feel confident that yeah, this bucket is what the only thing, this, there's nothing in this bucket. But the reality is there's always something growing in here. We spoke about the shadow IT thing earlier for SaaS. Right. That's also happening. I have no idea if someone decides to, like we used to have this thing called, um, there's another popular Australian uh, cybersecurity person called Troy Hunt. He has a website called haveibeenporn.com. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can get now subscriptions to find out if your entire domain was ever in a breach list. And uh, in a few of my previous companies, we used to do that as one of the things for employees because what we found in my first company was that people had their work email used for public services, like for Canva. Oh, I'm just going to use at, I don't know, sneak.io or whatever. And right. some of you are like, ah, shouldn't be using your company ID for that. <laughs> I understand you're using it for company stuff, but if you want it, let's you go through procurement, let's do the whole proper channel, do a single sign-on. But how many people hand on their heart can say this, that they would not have like small pockets of that in the company? It would be really, like, there is, it's like you're searching the internet for finding where have all your employees. And the more the number of employees, the bigger the probability mm -hmm. that they have not created on something popular. And by the way, they left as well. So right. what happens then? <laughs> like, uh, so we had a lot of scenarios where someone who had used our domain was part of the, the breach. Uh, we get an email from Have I Been Pwned and going, oh, by the way, this was this domain was there in this particular breach that was announced. You should look into it. And nine out of ten times we'll find it was a person who left as well. So you're almost like, well, I hope they didn't have much data, but I don't know what the data was transferred over. Mm -hmm. So as if I were to kind of go back to the first principle of what we do as cybersecurity professionals, 
one of the biggest asset that we are all trying to protect is data. You can't protect what you can't see. That's the foundational piece, unfortunately. Facts. And, and now we're in this place where I want to know what it is, but I can't find out easily because my company has acquired a few more companies. They have their own baggage they're coming up with. And the, the scale and complexity has gotten so, so complex, I guess, for lack of, lack of a better word, that I think the simple answer is, like, I'm trying my best, is what I hear. Right. That's, like, that's how, what I answer I hear for asset management. I'm trying my best. <laughs> that's all you can do. I mean, it's, it's sometimes scary to realize that you're not going to be able to find every single thing. No. And what's crazy in today's world, especially through the pandemic and seeing digital transformation, that... Every SaaS app, every application, whether it's SaaS or not, has integrations. There's mm. there's a marketplace, and you connect your your integrations to maybe your your workspace applications like Google Workspace. You might connect it to Microsoft, and then that is sharing data. And then that other app <laughs> that you integrated <laughs> has a marketplace, and you're yep. sending data elsewhere. So like once once it's out there, it's yeah. out there. But it's it's all about just trying taking those incremental steps to find what you can find. Yeah, I, I think uh, another complex layer around this. I saw this in a company once. I thought it was really I was bamboozled by it where you may have an agreement with you, my B2B client, that I would protect your data, but the SaaS application, me, the SaaS provider, I may have other people public logging in. Now, that's kind of a gray area. Like, who right. owns that? Mm -hmm. Like, unless you've actually specifically called in the contract that, hey, Mr. SaaS provider or Ms. SaaS provider, every data of ours, you should protect. But also, the customers who sign in on for our side, you should protect them as well. Because I can technically, as a SaaS provider, well, I'm protecting your data, but all this data, I can sell, sell that for money. Right. Right? Like, I can't control that. And, <laughs> and that's a legal thing as well. Do people ask the question in legal department for, hey, what part of our data is important? It kind of makes me think about, I got a really interesting uh, question yesterday at my talk. So someone asked me, with the supply chain, like, where does the legal side of things sit? And that was to me, and I, I actually come from a legal background. So it was funny because I said, look, I can give you the lawyer's answer, which is like, whoever has the best evidence in the courtroom, really. And yeah. that's the, the short answer because at the end of the day, wh whoever has done the best paperwork and kind of show that they've done the best due diligence is going to be the one who's going to be able to protect themselves. So I think there's that legal angle as well, which is like seeping into, you know, all of the zero trust, you know, yeah. asset management, you right. know, if does that help you actually, you know, keep the good records and you can kind of say, look, from my end, I've actually done, I've ticked all the boxes it's, you know, my third party provider or whoever else. So that, I thought that was, a. I, I haven't had a legal question asked before, but people are thinking about it because at the end of the day, cybersecurity is a business and a legal problem. So you you mentioned SBOM a few times. We got to talk <laughs> about that because I know that you two just took a new opportunity and you're really kind of focusing on the fundamentals, getting back to basics, helping organizations rethink about that classic problem of inventory and, and finding what really matters. So what, what's been new with you? <laughs> uh, for, for, uh, I think it was, no matter how many times you say SBOM, it's never enough. I think it's like uh, nowadays I feel no conversation is complete without using the word SBOM. SBOM, yes. Um, and I think it was funny because just yesterday I was actually speaking to someone who was um, working on a white paper for SBOM. And it was a conversation we were having to the fact that obviously, you know, it got announced that, you know, everyone needs to have an SBOM, especially if you're working with the federal government. But since then, what has happened? Like people kind of have a good understanding of what SBOM is. Yes. Yes, it's a recipe list. Um, you know, it's a stock of what you have in your 
software. Yeah, break that out. What is an SBOM? Yeah, so What's the acronym? <laughs> and, <you know. laughs> so it's a software bill of materials um, and people have explained it in different ways. So obviously a lot of people uh, compare it to a recipe list. I've seen that, you know, little uh, recipe at the back of your, I think, whatever you buy, a packet of biscuits and you've right. got that. <laughs> so I, I see that used quite often. Um, but yeah, it's really what's actually going into your software. So, you know, what um, the different meta metadata may be, you know, what are the different your integrations that you may have. So it's everything that makes up your software. I think one of the challenges is obviously it's only as good as someone's record keeping. So if you've asked, you know, your provider to give you an SBOM, but they haven't really done a really good job of actually keeping a log of what all they've put into that software, it's only going to be as good as, I guess, their record keeping. So that's a bit of a challenge. But also I think what the industry is really keen to know is how are people actually going about solving this SBOM problem? And um, there isn't enough information out there, I feel at least, like because I actively do look for it and I'm curious to learn more about it. Um, so we are trying to have more conversations with people. How are you actually implementing it? Right. You know, it's great that someone said you have to have it, but how do we actually do <laughs> it in real life? And it's interesting, those conversations. I'm really keen um, when this white paper does come out um, or hopefully next year, I think I'm hoping we'll see a bit more context around what is what does it actually mean? You know, we right. know what it stands for. And yeah, we've seen the recipe list, but how are people actually solving it at enterprise level as well? I think there'll be stages of it though. I think there would be stages of people who would, deploy different versions of SBOM. And it could just be as simple as, well, you would get one list every six months or you would get one list every month or every year. I think a lot of people also said this uh, from a technology perspective uh, and culture perspective, there's so much, like I think I'm going to use a SaaS example again. Having worked as a CISO before, I know a lot of SaaS providers you work with, they're not as mature in security. Leave it all, SBOM. Right. So, I mean, SBOM is like right on the other side of spectrum and you're trying to deal with, hey, you should do MFA. What is MFA? Right. Do you guys really need it? Like, because we, we don't have anyone else asking for it. <laughs> and you're like, uh, well, you're working with the enterprise. So, so and but for them as a product, it's like, unless 20 people ask me, I'm not going to make FM, MFA because I'm still getting money from 25 people. So, yeah, so there is that challenge uh, that we don't talk about. And it's easy for President Biden to come online. And I mean, now no ditch on him. I'm sure he's not a technology person. But for him, he's been given advice that, oh, you should ask everyone to do this. And uh, it could be a great national service if you do it. I think he used the word national, like a contribution to America or something. And going, wow, <laughs> like if you actually do this like national deed. Uh, but I think it's a good start. I definitely yeah. feel it's a good start because no one was really talking about, you know, like holding your you know, third parties accountable for what they've mm -hmm. actually put in their software. So I definitely feel like there's, it's definitely sparked a really good conversation and it's making people think, oh, actually, yeah, what is it in my software? I'd probably need to know and yeah. let the other person know as well. Um, but it's about execution now. Like, so Australia does not have SBOM. There's no mandate. The Australian government, if you go to the website, it actually says they encourage something like an SBOM, but it's not mandated. Same thing in Europe, there's no actual SBOM. So, but I can see that different governments are actually taking encouragement from it and they see value in it, but they're not mandating it as much as I think the US is. So what do you do with SBOM? Like you, you, you gather this list of this recipe of software and you have it stored somewhere. Maybe you're sharing it with organizations. Who is looking at that and what are they doing with it? Yeah. And that's the exact question I think we're trying to ask everyone, like, how are you actually doing it in your organizations? I think at the moment with the maturity where things are at, I think most people are just getting it from their third party, making sure they've got it. I think there is a lot of activity happening in the vendor space. So a lot of vendors are looking at solving this. Maybe a little vulnerability management. 
activity in there, you might be able to say, all right, this particular software is vulnerable a lot. What yeah. version yeah. is running on it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So a lot of scanning, a lot of vulnerability management, all of those things. There's lots of different products that we're hearing of that are going to be popping up. So I guess 2023 will be a year where we'll see. I, I would be surprised like if you don't start seeing some Specifically, we're going to solve your SBOM yeah, challenges. Right. We're going to help you identify, you know, what's actually in your software, which one of those components are vulnerable, vulnerable and have that audit probably ongoing. Like there's always room for any um, any of the softwares to have that continuous monitoring aspect in there as well. Right. I mean, you can put a maturity angle to it as well. Um, if you were to put like a maturity scale out there on the very beginner stage on the left, I would probably say just knowing what you have is a great thing. Like a lot of, as I said about the maturity for a lot of third parties you might work with, or even internally when you work with, I think I've been, we had a lot of conversations where people could not even find who was the owner for a particular application inside. Like even that is a thing. And I'm like, oh, wow. So it's not even just finding the asset. You find the asset, but you don't know who the owner is. So getting solving that is like, for me, it's like step one for maturity. All the way on the other end is where you have some kind of automation. And I think uh, one of the, uh, product companies, I can't remember the name, but they actually have it on their website. So you can actually see that SBOM on the website. I think it's like whatever website slash SBOM. And you see the list of everything that they have, which is updated. It says the last updated date as well. Uh, I mean, I haven't gone back and checked, but I'm assuming that happens periodically, like a, every day or every week or every month or every six months. That's the next level of maturity where it's no longer a conversation. It kind of becomes the same as HTTPS. Mm -hmm. where it's just that, well, it is just expected. Right. That's cause that's the level of maturity we would love to get to and the industry should move towards. Like for people who may be listening in or watching, they can go and go, okay, am I, how am I, how am I on the scale of knowing what I have versus I have it on my website, my ingredient list or recipe list, as you called it, that gets updated every time I change the recipe. Right. So that's the two extreme for people who may want to think about implementing it. It'd be interesting how they solve it for open source though. Because <laughs> 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 if your software has ended up using open source code. Right. How do you like- You look underneath of the hood, it's <laughs> all open source. It's yep. all, it's all, you know, we're all using a lot of the same things. And yeah. I think this idea of SBOM and like that topic of having the inventory of that is really the next frontier because we're moving more and more into a code first world. Yeah, And yeah. what I love about this conference is you get to learn about these topics. You get to hear from the experts and it's electrifying to be back in person. I was getting a little <laughs> stir crazy. I love the virtual conferences, yeah. but for anyone that wasn't able to make it, that wasn't able to be here with us. What is one thing that you would want to share with the audience at home to say, hey, this is a few of the important things that are actually happening at the conference? I'll probably start by the team that was across the board. Uh, some of the teams that they had was cloud, zero trust. And this is the reason I mentioned the team is because for people who would not have attended, it's always good to kind of see where the market is going. And uh, it's almost like a good zoom out for what should I be focusing on for my next promotion or whatever? So there's a lot of conversation around uh, cloud native, cloud, uh, zero trust, supply chain, a lot of conversations around CISOs and board conversations, which is, I guess, what's always been the case anyways. Right. But for anyone who's trying to go into that leadership space, there definitely was conversations around that. There were some of the conversations we spoke to people, they were talking about the whole Russia-Ukraine thing as well. A lot so, of that. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. So there's a, I mean, I guess it's a hot topic. So if you wanted to kind of get some insights from say, what was the Microsoft Threat Intelligence team listening to? 
some parts of it were exposed during the conversation. So that was kind of like the themes that I saw. Um, I don't know, what, what was your thought on that? I think um, I'm going to take probably a different lens. So I think it was interesting to actually see a lot of non-cybersecurity people giving talks. So a lot of the keynotes over here, so there was Aaron Brockovich who gave yeah. a keynote. Um, there was Sully from that movie, Sully, if anyone's yeah, watched that. Yeah. So I think there's that interest about like cybersecurity being more than just a cybersecurity problem. So it was interesting. I was part of the production for a podcast with the person who wrote the book. Um, this is how they tell me the world ends. And I think she said something really nice. And I think I'm starting to see a bit more of that in this conference is that cybersecurity is not just a technical problem. She says that it's a societal problem. It's a, you know, a cultural problem. And I very much agree because a lot of the things that we are dealing with, it impacts everyone. So that was something different that I, I haven't seen at many conferences. Often it's, you know, all, all the rock stars of cybersecurity that would be there. But it was good to see that, you know, there are other people who are getting an opportunity to share their perspective and why it's important to the broader audience and giving us some limelight as well, because I think the broader society needs to know about cybersecurity and be attuned to it. You two are a dynamic duo. I, I, I love it because Ashish is going deep into like the topics. This is what you need to know. And then you're focused on the accessibility, yeah. taking that information and sharing it far and wide. Ashish, Shilpi, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing the conversation and just letting us know like what's what's coming up and also the differences between like how things are done in Australia versus the rest of the world. Because we all need to see it. We all we go, we can all learn from each other. So with that, we'll see everyone next time. Thank you. Thank you so much.